Chapter One of Memoirs of Chateaubriand, seventeen sixty eight to eighteen hundred. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee. Memoirs of Chateaubriand, seventeen sixty eight to eighteen hundred by Francois Rene de Chateaubriand. Chapter One Secret Nubes, Quasi Naves, Velut Umbra, Job, Vale Ulu, near One, October fourth, eighteen eleven four years ago on my return from the holy land i purchased a little country house situated near the hamlet of onay in the vicinity of so and chatney the house is in a valley encircled by thickly wooded hills the ground attached to this habitation is a sort of wild orchard at the extremity of which there is a ravine bounded by a grove of chestnut trees these narrow confines seem to me to be the fitting boundaries of my long protracted hopes spatio brevi spem longam recesses the trees i have planted here are thriving but as yet so small that i overshadow them when i stand between them and the sun some day or other their spreading foliage will shade me and shelter my old age as i have sheltered their youth i have selected them as far as i was able from the various climes i have visited they remind me of my wanderings and serve to cherish other illusions in my heart should the bourbons ever reascend the throne of france i shall solicit as the sole reward of my fidelity to be made rich enough to add to my estate the border of woodland which encircles it i have grown ambitious and i wish to lengthen my walks by the extent of a few purchase knight-errant as i am i have the sedentary taste of a monk since i have dwelt in this retreat i do not think i have three times overstepped the boundaries of my own enclosure my pines my firs and my larches promise to thrive but as those trees seldom keep their promises the valet aulu may perhaps by and by resemble a carthusian convent on the twentieth of february sixteen ninety seven when voltaire was born at chatelet i wonder what was the aspect of the spot destined in eighteen o seven to be the retreat of the author of the genie du christianisme it was here i wrote the martyrs the abonserage the itinéraire and moise to what shall i devote myself in the evenings of the present autumn this day the fourth of october being the anniversary of my entrance into jerusalem tempts me to commence the history of my life the man who has given the empire of the world to france only that he may trample on her that man whose genius i admire and whose despotism i abhor that man surrounds me with his tyranny and as it were shuts me out from the world but though he may crush the present the past defies him and i may range freely over all that has preceded his glory my sentiments have for the most part been concealed within my own heart or they have been manifested in my works only when applied to imaginary beings now while still loving my chimeras without pursuing them i wish to reascend the acclivity of my brighter years these memoirs will be a temple of death dedicated to my recollections the misfortunes which attended my father's childhood and the trials of his early life cast a gloom over his whole character and disposition this gloom had its influence on my mind it threw a shade over my youth and determined the course of my education i am of noble descent and i have profited by the accident of my birth inasmuch as i have retained that firm love of liberty which characterizes an aristocracy whose last hour has sounded aristocracy has three successive ages the age of superiority the age of privilege and the age of vanity having emerged from the first age it degenerates in the second and perishes in the third those who are curious to know something of my ancestry may consult moreri's dictionary the histories of Brittany and of Argentre by Dom Lubineau and Dom Maurice, and the genealogical history of several illustrious houses of Brittany by Father Dupaz. 
The information on the subject is also furnished by Toussaint Saint-Luc, by Le Borgne, and by Father Anselm in his Histoire des Grands Officiers de la Couronne. The testimonials verifying my family descent were officially produced, on the admission of my sister Lucille, as canoness, to the chapter of Argentière, whence she was to be removed to that of Remiremont. They were again produced for my presentation to Louis XVI, again on my affiliation to the Order of Malta, and for the last time when my brother was presented to Louis XVI. My name was originally written Bouillon. Subsequently, through the changes in French orthography, it was converted into Bouillon and Briand. Guillaume Le Breton writes it Castrum Briani. There is scarcely a family name in France which does not present these mutations of spelling. What is the orthography of Du Gesclin? About the commencement of the eleventh century, the Briands gave their name to a castle of some importance in Brittany which castle became the seat of the barony of Chateaubriand. The arms of the Chateaubriands were originally pineapples, with the device Je sème l'eau. Geoffroy, baron de Chateaubriand, accompanied St. Louis to the Holy Land, where he was made prisoner at the Battle of Massura. Having recovered his liberty, he came back to France, and his wife Sibyl died of joy and surprise at his unexpected return. In recompense for the services of the baron, St. Louis granted permission to him and his heirs to exchange for their old armorial bearings a shield of jewels scattered with fleur-de-lis of gold a cartulary in the priory of beret contains the following attestation qui et eus heredibus sanctus ludovicus tum francorum rex propter eus probitatem in armis floris lili auri loco pomorum pini auri contulit the chateaubriand family at an early period diverged into three branches the first branch, that of the barons of Chateaubriand, whence the two others sprang, had its origin in the year 1000 in the person of Thiene, the son of Briand, and the grandson of Alain III, Count or Lord of Brittany. The second branch was surnamed Seigneur des Roches-Bariteau, or of the Lyon d'Angers, and the third branch appeared under the title of Sieur de Beaufort. The line of the Sieur de Beaufort, having become extinct in the person of the Lady René, Christophe II, a collateral branch of that line, became heir to the estate of Garonne in Morbihan. At that time, about the middle of the seventeenth century, vast confusion prevailed in the order of nobility, and many titles and names were usurped. In consequence, Louis the Fourteenth ordered an inquiry having for its object a just reinstatement of ranks. Christophe, by reason of authentic attestations of his ancient descent, retained his title and armorial bearings in conformity with the decree of the chamber established at rennes for the reconstruction of the nobility of brittany that decree which was issued on the sixteenth of september sixteen sixty nine was as follows decree of the chamber for the re-establishment of nobility in the province of brittany issued september sixteenth sixteen sixty nine the procureur general du roi declares m christophe de chateaubriand sieur de la garande to be the descendant of an ancient and noble family he is in consequence entitled to the rank of chevalier and to take for his armorial bearings jewels scattered with gold fleurily without limited number and this after production of his authentic claims thereto etc etc the said decree being signed malesco this document shows that christophe de chateaubriand of la garonne was directly descended from the chateaubriand's sieur de beaufort Historical documents distinctly connect the Sieur de Beaufort with the first Baron de Chateaubriand. That the Chateaubriands of Villeneuve, of Plessis, and of Combourg were younger branches of the Chateaubriands of La Garande is proved by the lineage of Amaury, the brother of Michel. 
the said Michel being the son of Christophe of La Garande, whose extraction was confirmed by the decree above quoted. After my presentation to Louis the Sixteenth, my brother wished to augment my fortune by settling on me some of those benefices called benefices simples. There was but one mode of effecting this object, I being a layman and holding a military commission. It was to obtain my admission into the order of Malta. My brother forwarded to Malta my testimonials of nobility, and shortly afterwards he presented a petition in my behalf to the chapter of the Grand Priory of Aquitaine, held at Poitiers, to the end that commissioners should be appointed to pronounce on my claim to admittance. M. Pontois was at that time archivist, vice-chancellor and genealogist of the Order of Malta at the Priory. The president of the chapter was Louis-Joseph des Escotes, Bailly, and Grand Prior of Aquitaine. His coadjutors were the Bailly of Fresland, the Chevalier de la Laurency, the Chevalier de Murat, the Chevalier de Longamet, the Chevalier de la Bordonnais Montluc, and the Chevalier de Boutier. The petition was heard on the ninth, tenth, and eleventh of September, 1789. The memorial for granting my admission states that I deserved, by more than one claim, the favour I sought, and that considerations of the greatest weight rendered me worthy of the satisfaction I solicited. And all this took place after the taking of the Bastille, on the eve of the scenes of the 6th of October, 1789, and of the removal of the royal family from Paris. In its sitting of the 7th of August of that same year, 1789, the National Assembly abolished titles of nobility. How happened it that the knights and the examiners of my attestations found that I merited by more than one claim the favour I solicited, etc., I who was then only a sub-lieutenant of infantry, unknown, without influence, without favour, and without fortune? My brother's eldest son, I add this in 1831, to the original text written in 1811, Count Louis de Chateaubriand married Mademoiselle d'Auglande, by whom he had five daughters and one son, the latter named Geoffroy. Christian, the younger brother of Louis, the great-grandson and godson of Monsieur Malzerbe, and bearing a striking resemblance to that celebrated man, served honourably in Spain as a captain in the dragoons of the guard in 1823. Subsequently he became a Jesuit at Rome. Jesuit's colleges are places of refuge to those who seek the solitude now gradually diminishing from the earth. Christian died recently at Chieri, near Turin, I, who am old and infirm, might well have expected to be called hence before him, but his virtues had prepared him for heaven, whilst I have yet many faults to repent of. In the distribution of his family patrimony, Christian had the estate of Malzerbe, and the estate of Combourg fell to the share of Louis. Christian, regarding the equal distribution as unlawful, wished, on his retirement from the world, to resign the property which did not belong to him, and to restore it to his elder brother. My genealogical records would have warranted me, had I inherited the ambition of my father and my brother, in believing myself to be the descendant in the branche cadet of the Dukes of Brittany, through our common descent from Thiene, the grandson of Alain III. The blood of the Chateaubriands has on two occasions been mingled with the blood of the sovereigns of England. Geoffroy IV de Chateaubriand espoused for his second consort Agnes de Laval, granddaughter of the Count of Anjou, and of Matilda, daughter of Henry I. Marguerite de Lusignan, widow of the King of England, and granddaughter of Louis Le Gros, married Geoffroy V, twelfth Baron de Chateaubriand. With the royal race of Spain, they were connected through Briand, younger brother of the ninth Baron de Chateaubriand, who married Jeanne, the daughter of Alfonso, King of Aragon. Among the noble families of France, their alliances are numberless. Juan Croix married a Charlotte de Chateaubriand, Tantiniac, 
the conqueror and the combat of the trente and the constable du Gesclin, contracted alliances with our family in all its three branches tiphaine du Gesclin, granddaughter of the celebrated constable bertrand resigned to briand de chateaubriand her cousin and heir the estate of plessis bertrand in treaties of peace chateaubriands were given by the kings of france as hostages or securities the dukes of brittany used to send to the chateaubriands copies of their laws and ordinances the chateaubriands became high officers of the crown and illustre in the court of nantes and they received commissions to guard the safety of their province against the english Brion the first was at the battle of hastings he was the son of Eudon, count of pontievre guy de chateaubriand was one of the nobles whom arthur of brittany selected to accompany his son when he went on an embassy to the pope in the year thirteen o nine i should never end were i to give in detail the family history which i have here briefly recapitulated the note which i have at length resolved to insert in consideration of my two nephews who are persons of more importance than myself in these old records will supply what i here omit in the text but in their depreciation of noble lineage people now go to an absurd extreme it has become the custom to boast of having sprung from the labouring class or of being the son of a man attached to the soil such declarations are not quite so noble-minded as they are philosophic are not they who make them taking part with the strongest the marquis counts and barons of the present day have neither privileges nor possessions three-fourths of them are starving and degrading themselves in each other by refusing to recognise the rank to which they severally belong can those nobles deprived of their own names or permitted to bear them only for the sake of convenience as things are named in an inventory can those nobles create any alarm i hope to be pardoned for having been obliged to enter into such puerile details of family genealogy but they were necessary for a due comprehension of my father's ruling passion which was the knot of the drama of my youth for my own part i am neither disposed to glorify the old state of society nor to complain of the new if in the former i was the chevalier or the vicomte de chateaubriand i am in the latter francois de chateaubriand i prefer my name to my title such was my father's reverence for titles that like a certain nobleman of the middle ages he would not have scrupled to have surnamed nicodemus un saint gentilhomme but leaving my father for the present i will now go back to christophe lord suzerain of la guerande and descendant in a direct line from the barons of chateaubriand from him i must conduct the reader to myself francois seigneur without either vassals or revenue of the valley au loup looking back to the genealogical tree of the chateaubriands we find it composed of three great branches the two first became extinct and the third that of the sire de beaufort prolonged through the chateaubriands of la guerande fell into poverty the inevitable effect of the law of the country by virtue of the common law of brittany the eldest brothers of noble families inherited two-thirds of the estates and the younger brothers shared among them the remaining third of the paternal property the scanty inheritance of these younger brothers diminished the more rapidly when they married and as the same distribution of the two-thirds and the one-third was observed among their children it naturally ensued that in course of time the younger brothers of younger brothers became sharers in a pigeon a rabbit a duck or a dog but still they were high chevaliers and puissant lords of a dovecot a rabbit warren or a duck pond we find in the old noble families a vast number of these younger sons whose lineage is traceable through two or three generations and afterwards disappears families having gradually redescended to the plough and become absorbed among the labouring classes whilst no record of their existence remains about the commencement of the eighteenth century the chief of my name and family was alexis de chateaubriand seigneur de la garande 
He was the son of Michel, who had a brother named Amori. Michel was the son of that Christophe whose extraction from the Sire de Beaufort and the Baron de Chateaubriand was verified by the decree I have above quoted. Alexis de Chateaubriand, who became a widower, was a man of most intemperate habits. He passed his life in drinking and debauchery, and would have made waste paper of his most brilliant family records. Contemporary with this chief of our name and arms lived his cousin François, the son of Amaury, who was the younger brother of Michel. François, who was born on the 19th of February, 1683, was possessor of the little seigneuries of Les Touches and La Villeneuve. He married on the 27th of August, 1713, Petronille Claude Lamour, lady of Langegu, by whom he had four sons, François-Henri, René, my father, Pierre, Seigneur of Plessis, and Joseph, Seigneur du Parc. My grandfather, François, died on the 28th of March, 1729. My grandmother, whom I knew in my childhood, was a beautiful woman, the smile of whose sweet countenance brightened the shade of her old age. She resided, after the death of her husband, on the manor of Villeneuve, in the vicinity of Dinan. The whole fortune of my grandmother did not exceed five thousand livres d'orant. Of this her eldest son inherited two-thirds, three thousand three hundred and thirty-three livres, leaving one thousand six hundred and sixty-six livres d'orant to be shared among the three younger sons, and even of that sum the eldest drew a portion called the Preciput. Unfortunately, my grandmother was thwarted in carrying out her own designs by the waywardness of her children. Her eldest son, François-Henri, on whom devolved the magnificent heritage of the seigneury of La Villeneuve, refused to marry and became a priest. But instead of soliciting the benefices which his name would have warranted him to look for, and with the emoluments of which he might have supported his younger brothers, he was withheld, either from pride or indifference, from seeking any advancement. He buried himself in the country, and successively became rector of saint lanoc and of Merdrignac in the diocese of Saint-Malo. He had a strong passion for poetry, and I have seen many of his compositions. The lively and humorous disposition of this noble Rabelais, and the worship which this Christian priest addressed to the muses in his humble presbytere, excited no little curiosity. He gave away all he possessed, and died insolvent. My fourth uncle Joseph removed to Paris, where he shut himself up in a library, his pittance of four hundred and sixteen livres being transmitted to him annually. He spent his life amidst books, and devoted himself to historical researches. His sight was defective, but, as long as he was able to use his eyes, he wrote a letter to his mother every New Year's Day. This was the only sign of existence he ever manifested. A singular accordance of taste has prevailed among some members of my family. Of two of my uncles, one was a scholar, and the other a poet. My brother possessed a happy talent for inditing verses. My sister, Madame de Farcy, was endowed with poetic genius of a very high order, Another of my sisters, the Countess Lucille, the canoness, might have earned distinction by her writings, and I have myself scribbled over a great deal of paper. My brother perished on the scaffold. The sorrowful lives of my two sisters were ended after a lingering imprisonment. My two uncles did not leave enough behind them to pay for their coffins. Literature has been the source of my pleasures and pains, and I do not despair, under the favour of heaven, to die in some public asylum. My grandmother, who had exhausted all her resources in endeavouring to make something of her eldest and her youngest sons, was disabled from doing anything for the two others, my father René and my uncle Pierre. The family which had sown golden seed, a semi-law, according to the device of its early ancestors, now beheld no remains of its former greatness save the rich abbeys they had founded and in which their progenitors were entombed. The Chateaubriands had been presidents of the States of Brittany by virtue of their possession of one of the nine baronies. They had affixed their signatures to the treaties of sovereigns, 
they had been securities for the maintenance of treaties and yet they had not sufficient influence to obtain a sub-lieutenancy for the heir of their name but the impoverished noblesse of brittany had still one resource the navy an endeavour was made to obtain a commission for my father but in the first place it was requisite he should proceed to brest be maintained there pay for masters purchase a uniform arms books mathematical instruments etc how were all these expenses to be defrayed the commission solicited from the minister of the marine was not obtained for want of some powerful influence to recommend it this disappointment threw the chatelain of villeneuve into a fit of illness my father now for the first time in his life gave proof of something like decision of character at that period he was about fifteen years of age on witnessing his mother's illness and anxiety he approached her bedside and said that he was resolved to be no longer a burden to her this story i have heard my father frequently relate rene said my grandmother with tears in her eyes what do you propose doing you can only till your ground but that will not provide us with the means of support he replied allow me to depart you have my permission go wheresoever god may guide you the weeping mother embraced her son and that same evening my father left the maternal home he proceeded to dinan where one of our relations furnished him with a letter to a resident of st malo the orphan adventurer embarked as a volunteer on board an armed schooner which set sail a few days after the little st maloan republic at that time nobly sustained the honour of the french flag on the sea the schooner joined the fleet sent by cardinal de fleury to the assistance of stanislas when the russians besieged danzig my father landed and was engaged in that memorable battle fought on the twenty ninth of may seventeen thirty four between fifteen hundred frenchmen commanded by the brave breton de brion count de plelo and forty thousand muscovites commanded by munich de brion the diplomatist warrior and poet was killed in this action and my father was wounded twice he returned to france and after a little time he again embarked on another expedition during which he was shipwrecked on the coast of spain where he was attacked and plundered by banditti having succeeded in obtaining a passage in a vessel proceeding to bayonne he at length found his way once more to his maternal home by this time his courage and good conduct had gained him friends through whose influence he obtained an opportunity of going to one of our colonies where he prospered and laid the foundation of the new fortune of his family my grandmother commended her son pierre to the care of her son rene pierre was monsieur de chateaubriand du plessis whose son armand was shot by order of bonaparte on good friday eighteen ten he was one of the last of the french nobles who perished in the cause of the monarchy my father took upon himself the charge of providing for his brother though he had contracted through his long-continued sufferings an asperity of temper which never forsook him the non ignara mali is not always true misfortune may harden as well as soften the character m de chateaubriand was tall and thin his nose was aquiline his lips compressed and colourless and his small sunken eyes were of a bluish-grey colour there was a peculiar expression in his eyes which i never observed in any other individual it was like that of the lion and when he was roused by anger the pupil of his eyes seemed as it were to start out like a ball one passion was predominant in my father's mind it was family pride his natural melancholy increased with advancing age and his habitual silence was broken only by bursts of passion he was niggardly in the hope of restoring his family to its original affluence he was haughty to the nobles of brittany harsh to his dependents at combourg taciturn despotic and dictatorial in his home where he inspired no feeling but fear had he lived till the breaking out of the revolution 
or had he been a younger man, he would have played an important part, or he would have allowed himself to be massacred in his chateau. His talent was certainly of a high order, and had he been a minister of state or a military commander, he would have been an extraordinary man. After his return from America, he began to entertain the design of marrying. He was born on the 23rd of September, 1718, and on the 3rd of July, 1753, being then in his 35th year, he married Apolline Jeanne Suzanne de Bedet. This lady, who was born on the 7th of April, 1726, was the daughter of Messire Ange Annibal, Count de Bedet, seigneur of La Boutade. The newly married pair settled at St. Malo within seven or eight leagues of the spot where both were born, and they could discern from their residence the horizon beneath which they had each first seen the light. My maternal grandmother, Marie-Anne de Ravenel de Boiteil, Lady of Bedet, born at Rennes on the 16th of October, 1698, was educated at Saint-Cyr during the latter years of Madame de Maintenon. Her education extended its influence over that of her daughters. My mother was gifted with much intelligence, and she possessed an extraordinary share of imaginative talent. Her mind had been formed by reading Fenelon, Racine, and Madame de Sévigné, and her memory was stored with anecdotes of the court of Louis Fourteenth. She knew all Cyrus by heart. Apolline de Bedet had large features and was of a dark complexion. She was small in figure and by no means handsome. Nevertheless, the elegance of her manners and the amiability of her disposition formed a pleasing contrast to the sternness and gloom of my father's character. She loved society as much as he loved solitude. She was as susceptible and animated as he was cold and imperturbable. All her tastes were at variance with those of her husband. The opposition she experienced wrought a change in her disposition, and from being lively and gay she became serious and melancholy. Obliged to hold her tongue when she wished to speak, she recompensed herself for the privation by manifesting a sort of parade of grief broken by sighs, which alone interrupted the mute melancholy of my father. In piety my mother was an angel. End of chapter 1